Hello, welcome to Casting Nets, a podcast about real life and living faith. This is Pastor Dave Rudot, otherwise known as Dave. I am with Pastor Will Harley, otherwise known as Will. And we our topic for today is American Christianity. Uh, we are two pastors who are not experts on all of America, nor are we all experts on all of Christianity. But we're going to talk anyway. Uh, we have our viewpoints as we're looking at America uh, we are Americans. We're Christians living in this America. Let's get some observations from Will and myself about American Christianity. And here's the kicker. American Christianity has it failed and how and what is the fix? So before we get to that, a disclaimer. Will and I are pastors who hold ourselves and each other to the Bible and to the Lutheran confessions. And what is about to come out of our mouths doesn't speak for our churches, our church body, or <laughs> or even ourselves. We're letting you in on a conversation between pastors. We're spouting off ideas, bouncing them off each other. Maybe we'll get it right. Maybe something will stick. Maybe not. But either way, you are welcome here. You are welcome here to listen to our conversation. You're welcome to contribute. You can send. You can talk to us in person. You can talk to us on Facebook. You can send us an email at castingnetspod at gmail.com. All right. Or you can send a personal email to myself, Pastor Dave Rud- uh, pastor.rudot at gmail.com. I'm actually gave the real email address this time. Uh, you are welcome to visit and welcome to, com- uh, to join us in conversation. You are also welcome to leave too. No worries on our part. Uh, this is a podcast about real life and living faith. And real life is lived in Christ who frees you, friend. The one thing I would probably have to say that I would correct, Dave, is the fact that, um, yes, we might not have the authority or the right to, to comment on all of Christianity and all of America, but we, we do have, have I think, very uh, good authority to talk. <laughs> we have the ability and, and we have the avenue to talk, so we're going to use it. Absolutely. Um, and and just like I say to everybody who, who comes and, and worships with us, um, you walked into this, so now you have to listen. <laughs> so um, as well, we, we are glad you're here. We're glad that, uh, that you're listening, and uh, we hope to have something that, to contribute to you and your thoughts as you're thinking about American Christianity, uh, dear listener. Oh, absolutely. I and I and I think um, one of the the what brought up this topic before um, last week we had talked about uh, vaccinations and and during that conversation of vaccinations we we brought up this idea of the bound will and I always love talking about the bound will because you know I'm I'm very much a, a fan of of Martin Luther and and really his his whole treatise on that um, on the bound will uh, but. That that really starts leading into, I think, this greater idea of Christendom and the greater idea of what I've heard over and over and over um, in ministry. And, and I haven't been in the ministry maybe as long as you have. I mean, I've, I've been in ministry, what, 12 years now almost. Um, and, and the thing you hear over and over again is we are a Christian nation. You know, you hear that almost ad nauseum, you know, we're a Christian, but pastor, we're a Christian nation, we're a Christian nation. And, and, and it made me start to think from these conversations, and, and we've talked about it in private too a little bit, 
is if we're a Christian nation, then looking at the demographic of what's happening in the nation today, looking at what's going on with the laws that are changing and the, and the framework of the people, Christianity has to have failed. Yeah, I, um, I, when I was over in Japan in uh, 99, 2000, that was one of the major, uh, major points of contention where you're, as I, I went over there to help our, our missions over there for a year, and I taught English, I would spend time with our students, and one of the students talked to me one time and said, you want me to believe in Jesus and to become a Christian, yet I look at your nation, and I look at Hollywood, and I see the morals of your nation, you want me to, and you, you, you're, and you, and I look at the morals of, he's only looking at the outward obedience, and so he's looking at the outward obedience of the Japanese and saying, we're so much moral than you are and you want me to embrace your religion um so that's i think for us as uh as american christians we need to honestly look at our society and say uh we're not really who we claim to be well and i and i think that's where this discussion really centers on today is this fact that american christian and 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 maybe just Maybe what we need to do for our listeners here is is backtrack just a little bit and and maybe give some highlights of what we consider American Christianity to be, and, and I and I think this is important. And and I'm I mean no disrespect to uh, Baptist brothers and sisters or Methodist brothers and sisters or Catholic brothers and sisters um, who truly believe in Christ and find themselves at the foot of the cross and other Lutherans too. And, well, and other Lutherans, unless you're from Elka. <laughs> Then we might have a we might there might be some offense, um, but as we as we look at this and and one of the things that I I, I want to say is is that and so please take this in the right way. Much of American Christianity is framed by Reformed thought, Reformed theology. Um, it is it is framed by the idea that um, external visions of morality, as you had said before, that the external vision of morality, the external um, idea of piety, um, the external idea of spirituality or or um, uh, revivalism is the pinnacle of what Christianity is. That 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 um, I mean, we could use some terms uh, that we've tossed around. We ter- use the terms individualism, right? Um, America is very rugged and individualistic, um, by and large. Um, that stems from this idea of of almost a reformed theology of it's your faith, you can do what you want. Uh, it's your belief. It's it's this idea of taking taking a person who is confessing to be Christian and saying, it's all up to you, right? Your choice, your actions, your life, um, and if you have failed in living a certain way, well, then you're condemned. Um, and, and, and I think it's it, the, this, this background in, in where Christianity has, has really found itself in the United States really has created some of these problems that we are seeing now in full fruition within the structure of American Christianity. So you're saying that the two 
um, marks of American Christianity would be one, a focus on the external, uh, how we conduct ourselves. Are we, are we doing the right thing? And the second thing would be on individualistic, like your faith is who you are as an individual. That's what it means to be a believer in God is focusing on yourself. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I would, I would, yes. Um, it is, it is definitely looking at, at the external and then looking at the, at the individual only, um, and striving at the individual only. Um, I mean, you can have, okay, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, you have this whole drive of mega churches, you know, we have to have these huge churches that people can get lost in because it's, it, it's not about the it's not about the community of the church as much as it's about the well that one person who shows up they leave and then oh that we did it for that one person um, what, the individual nature of it wouldn't you say a mega church is a huge community though no I, I I would say that it's the opposite be and and here's why I would say it's the opposite community is where everyone knows who you are and that they are able to encourage and that they're able to watch over you and they're able to help strengthen you. You get into a mega church that that doesn't happen. Um, there used to be uh, when we were going through seminary and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you heard it as well as I, uh, during our time there, but the professor said that, that realistically a pastor, any pastor can only remember about 250 to 300 names and interact with them on a, on any a meaningful, level. meaningful level. That means that that's not a mega church. I'm sorry, that's not a mega church. Um, if you have more than 300 people, and you have one pastor, you can't do it. And and okay, now let's expand that out. Let's expand that out because there are some Lutheran churches that ha- are in the thousands. Let's say you have three pastors there, but now what you've done is you've taken this community that you wanted to create of the church and you've compartmentalized it and you said, okay, this 300 people is managed by this pastor and that 300 people is managed by that pastor and this 300 people is managed by that pastor. So you have your youth pastor who deals with the youth and your senior pastor has no idea who they are until they get old because they deal with the older adults. Then you have the shut-ins, uh, the, the pastor who only goes and visits the shut-ins, and, and the other two pastors or three pastors on staff have no idea who these shut-ins are. They've never interacted with them. And, and you're, again, working against the whole concept of what the church was meant to be. And, and the church was meant to be little flocks. And coming into the whole, of course, but they're meant to be little flocks that are that are encouraging one another, coming together as a family of believers in the body of Christ, um, growing together, being fed and nourished by Him, um, and and walking together, so that when you walk into church, everybody knows. I mean, I I kind of viewed it like this: the church should be cheers. If, if where you remember, everybody knows your name. Yeah, where everyone knows your name. And and I'm, thank you for remembering the reference. <laughs> but, but it should be. Instead of saying, you know, I have so many services. See, that was the other thing. And this is my own personal, just take it for what it is. I am, I am vehemently against, um, vehemently may be a little strong. I am against having multiple worship services in, 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 in congregations, unless you are of such a size where it is impossible for you to fit into your sanctuary. And the reason isn't because I don't think more opportunities to worship the Lord is a bad thing. It's because you you create a, a division within the church body that says, okay, you're a 8 o'clock worshiper and you're a 1030 worshiper, and they don't cross. 
or you're a Saturday night worshiper and you're a Sunday morning worshiper or you're a Thursday night worshiper. You know what I mean? And it creates that divide. Well, I will say this last Sunday we had, because it was so cold, we have, even though we have only have one service, we have them, everyone is divided into three different areas. You have one area where everyone is not physically distant. There's an area where people are physically distant. And then there's also outside. People worship outside. And we include worship outside. We begin every worship service outside. Uh, we make uh, we have them honk their horns so that we can hear them, so that the, there's this, this sense of community. But last Sunday... It was so cold that we made announcements that we were not going to have communion outside. Our our elders, our our church council, uh, which which is my elders. I have a small church, so basically we they do everything. They looked at it and they said, uh, "Pastor, we're concerned for you, and we're concerned for our, our trustee who had helped you." And it 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 um. Let's just have communion. We'll still offer communion inside. We'll still offer the combination cups and and all of that. So those who want to and will will, um, I I also included and said, well, I'll go to them. You know, if they want to meet at a different time that day or they want to meet at church after everyone has left, uh, I'll do it privately. So it wasn't that we were denying communion. We were just saying we're just not going to do it outside. So because of that, people came inside to worship. And emotionally, that had an effect on me that I was not prepared for. Just to see their faces blended with everybody else's faces. And as a small town pastor, you hear their voices blended with everybody else's voices. And you go, this is what this is, what this is supposed to be. And, and the, the thought of joy, uh, we're all together. Even though for months we've been together, but we haven't really been together. However, I would say that just worship, having different worship times, isn't the only time that church expresses community. So there's Bible classes where even if you go to 8 o'clock service or 10.30 service, now you're part of this, you know, you're still part of the community. So just because you have different service times doesn't mean that now you've broken up the community. But I see your point of saying, uh, as this church, maybe we need to be a little bit more intentional about uh, uh, fostering this family. And that's and 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 I agree with you. And yes, if you have multiple services, you have to be more um, purposeful in bringing the church community family together in different ways. Um, and and but I think you I think you kind of proved my point in 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 your illustration. The pandemic has created a dichotomy of home worshipers uh, who who for those people who view online because they're they're cautious of the pandemic as well as maybe those who are worshiping in your in your particular place in the car but it what it's done is it's still created this individualism that i i think is coming back to our point is one of the failures of modern day christianity and and and, and here's the ultimate failure the ultimate failure in in, in dealing with individualism in modern day christianity is that we've convinced ourselves that I can worship God by myself. We've convinced ourselves that that I don't need my brothers and sisters, that I don't need the the support of other uh, other fellow believers in my life to be a Christian. And and the reality is there should never be a moment unless unless the the situation is so utterly dire that you are left alone. I I mean Elijah 
Uh, he flees after Mount Carmel, right? Uh, beautiful, beautiful. What happens on Mount Carmel in the Old Testament, Second Kings? Um, amazing. His huge victory. He gets a, he gets this idea that that that's well, not a wrong idea. Right. Jezebel's going to kill him, so he runs. He flees for his life, right? And he goes down towards towards Sinai. And as he's fleeing towards Sinai, um, he's saying to himself, I am the only one. I am the only one. I'm the only believer left. I'm the only believer left. And and y- y- the Lord comes to him, and, and I love this because this this works towards, against, against this idea of individualism. He's saying, I'm the only one left, Lord. Okay, this is Elijah. He's like the powerhouse prophet. He just rained fire down on the offering, killed 400 prophets of Baal. And now he's running with his tails between his legs saying, I'm the only one here. And what does God say? God comes to him. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, suck it up, dude. I've got 2,000 people. 7,000. Sorry, 7,000 people that are, are, are still a part of the Lord and following me. You're not alone. You know what my favorite part of that story is? Is when God says, anoint Elisha to be your successor. Because yes. then it's, that's God saying, "Yeah, I know you feel alone. So here, I'm going to give you Elisha, who is like, uh, he take he. If you want to talk about someone who's on fire for the Lord, Elisha is on fire for the Lord. Who want to talk about someone who looks at the office of the prophet in such high regard? Elisha is the guy. And so Elisha comes in and and is the companion that Elijah is seeking. Is that community that is he is seeking? So at the end of Elijah's life, when he is taken up in a whirlwind in heaven to heaven. We have these schools of prophets that they're going to. The complete reversal of Mount Horeb, uh, Mount Moriah, where he thinks he's the only one. Now he's got all of these schools of prophets, people who are holding on to God's word and proclaiming God's word and who God is working through because all of them go to Elisha and say, do you know that your Lord is going to take... So they're all de- demonstrating uh, that they're on the Lord's side and that they're, they're on Elijah's side. And and that's exactly the point. And and see that and, and this is this thing that American Christianity has failed in the sense of 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 embracing American individualism. America by its nature is individualistic. We are. Uh, whether you like it or not, we are. I mean, capitalism fosters individualism. I love capitalism. I think it's great. But it fosters individualism. I've I, I came I, from the West, you came from the West where we served hugely individualistic um they are they are they are the people who are the 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 bread and butter of of the midwest right and they'll say we will give you our shirt off our back if you need help you just ask but they will never ask you for help because they're very individual well they'll ask their neighbors for help and they'll help their neighbor only if they have to I mean, but they're very but there's this individualistic i'll I'll, I'll stipulate because it's uh it's one of those things where they'll like uh I would visit a rancher out in Montana, and they said, well, Pastor, you're driving into town, which is, you know, 30 miles away. Yeah, I'm driving into town. Can you grab this part from the John Deere dealer for me? I'm like, sure, and it's this big, complicated part because the the rancher is going to do it himself and fix it because he's not going to take all that stuff into town. Right. So I I see what your point. And and so, I mean, but that's that's just how we are by nature. So we have this, we have this thing that's set up in the culture, and the church has embraced it. And, and, and again, Nothing against our brothers and sisters and believers in, in Reformed congregations, but the Reformed Church is very individualistic because the, the very doctrine of the Reformed Church is you make a decision for Christ. It's, it's all internal and viewed on you. You live uh, this pristine life that shows that you believe. Um, and, and, and then we get this 
all of a sudden the shift in the reality that people aren't living that way. People aren't um, doing the things that that we would expect um, we would expect that the, the church would do. I have an article here and, and it's it, this was back in 2017. Um, but the title of the article was American Christianity Has Failed. And, and I just want to read you um, just this one section of this, and I might refer to it later on, but I want to read you one section of this. This is what this writer says. Uh, he says, Because while the gospel instructs followers of Christ to help the poor, oppressed, maligned, mistreated, sick, and those most in need of help, Christians in America have largely supported measures that have rejected refugees, refused to aid immigrants, cut social services to the poor, diminished help from the sick, fueled xenophobia, reinforced misogyny, ignored racism, stoked hatred, reinforced corruption, and largely increased inequality, prejudice, and fear. Other than the fact they're using gospel in the wrong way, that's a very indicting uh, statement. They're looking at the gospel as another law. Bingo. Um, but however, that is an indicting thing. Where what, what are we doing as Christians? Are we are we looking at our, our church as, a, as an institution that must be preserved? Or are we looking at our church as this is a, a body, a community that's going out into its communities and helping its neighbors, fueled by the gospel, fueled by what God has, uh, Jesus has done for them. And and I and I think to to, to comment and, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. He's misusing the term gospel, um, and almost it's a he's using it as the idea of social gospel. You know, what do we do outside in the world? But but it brings back the reality that the church itself is not meant to be a social tool. The church is meant to be the gospel's tool of proclamation. That's the that's the job of the church. The job of the church is to proclaim something into the world that the world cannot provide. And 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 that something is very simple. See, when we deal with the law, and, and the law is everywhere, whether you like it or not, when we deal with the law, there is this thing that comes up inside of us all, and it's called guilt. Guilt rises when we deal with the law. I haven't done this, fill in the blank. I have failed in doing that, fill in the blank. I have not lived in this way that everyone says I should have done, or I am not meeting the standards to which the society in which I live has said I should be. And this creates guilt. This creates this creates even sometimes shame. And guilt always has to go somewhere. We have to do something with it because otherwise we will drown in it and we live in a world filled with depression most often because of guilt. We live in a world filled with with hopelessness, often caused by guilt. Where does it go? So, so there's all these other isms that you can fill in, right? These isms that you can you know, spiritualism. You know, if I arrange my furniture in a certain way, I'm going to create a flow that's going to relieve my tension and guilt. Stupid. That's not going to happen. But we, we kind of convince ourselves of it. If I bend my body in certain directions, although that's a really good exercise for flexibility, but if I bend my body in certain directions and sing Kumbaya, I don't know if that's what they say, Kumbaya, but, but if we do that, then all of a sudden I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to for a time forget that guilt. And that may be for a time, but the guilt comes back. Right. It, we can do things that changes our mood. I mean, if we have a, an office that's a mess, 
or a, a, a workshop that's a mess, it really kind of can sour our mood. But if it's all organized the way that we want, it can help us uh, do the task that we can. I, I see that point. I, the, the guilt, obviously, if we have, if you're dealing with guilt and shame, there really is only one way to deal with that that actually removes it. Right. And, 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 and so, but there's other isms that we can, I mean, you could even say in many ways, the concept of racism is a way for us to deal with guilt. And I, and I'm not I'm I'm not trying to open up a whole can of worms here and and on the conversation of racism, but the idea of of everything today being racist and and this idea of racism is an idea of of being guilty. Um, let's face it, we haven't been the best people, so we we get a, a statement now that's supposed to say, well, see, this is what we are. That makes me feel better. See, that's what we are. I, I've I've claimed it. Yeah, I named or I've it. I've donated, my, right, to a cause. I've donated to a cause that helps alleviate my guilt. So, so we have this thing that's in the, in, it's it's in, endemic because of sin in the society in which we live, and, and we've created all these things, and and the church has jumped on these bandwagons, and and we've become a social justice warrior. By and large, American Christianity has become the social justice warrior of this of this ism or that ism or or. This individualistic, you can make yourself better by doing this, and that's not the place of the church. That that that's why we have failed. The the, the church has ultimately failed because that's never been its job. Our job is to the the church's job has always been to feed, as you said. It, it's been to feed and to proclaim, and the very fundamental thing that it's supposed to proclaim is this very ancient and wonderful term absolution that's its job and if you want to explain what absolution is go for it um because i think it needs to be explained absolution is what christ has done for you that he has taken your sins away that he has your sins your guilt your shame that you're dealing with have been put on the cross and there they've been paid for through the life and death of jesus christ god forgives you your sins he doesn't look at your sin doesn't see him anymore doesn't convict you of them, they're gone. They've been placed on Christ, they've been paid for. God looks at you and says, you are forgiven. Your guilt has been paid for, your shame is gone. You've struggled with this, you've struggled with that. You've struggled trying to be a better Christian, you've struggled trying to deal with your own uh, racial prejudices. God has taken that on his son, Jesus, and taken them away. And, and now I bring up um, what I believe is true, which is the best-kept secret in, of Christianity in America, and that is the Lutheran Church. Um, the Lutheran Church, I, I firmly believe, is, is one of the best-kept secrets in, in what you would consider to be American Christianity. And, and the reason I say that is, is because the Lutheran Church, <clears throat> I'm not saying it doesn't, it's not elsewhere in other churches, but it is in spades in the Lutheran Church. In the Lutheran Church is absolution. Absolution centered and focused solely on Christ. It's in the very beginning of the liturgy all the time. All the time. Remembering your baptism, the sign of the cross, um, as we open in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're in baptism as we are reminded of that. We are placed into the body of Christ, died with him, rise again to new life. Faith is now ours in this proclamation that that we are no longer 
ourselves, we've been placed into this body and we are forgiven. It's done. It, it goes from there to the confession, right? I, I, would, I, I would also add the power of the absolution. I, I didn't necessarily uh, say this before, but the power in the absolution is that Christ has given us the keys to forgive. And so when a pastor or when another Christian says, I forgive you your sins because of what Jesus has done, we have the confidence that it is as if God was standing in the room with us and God were speaking to us personally, our sins are forgiven. Now, your guilt is gone, not because some pastor said it or he said it in a very eloquent way that made you feel good, but it is gone because the person that God has called and put in your life who has the keys, that would be your pastor, your brother, sister in Christ, your Christian, they have announced that to you. Uh, they're doing their job. This is what God has called them to do. They are his hands, his voice, so that when you hear them and see or hear what they have to say to you, you know, you have the assurance that it is as if God was speaking to you directly. And absolution. And, and that absolution that you receive is part of the service. We have a thing that's called um, a public confession and absolution. And, and I know there are some in, in the church body that say, I don't know if, if, if a pastor can say that. But I think the public confession and absolution is the perfect illustration of the very core doctrine of the Lutheran faith, which is forgiveness is a proclamation spoken over you. It is not an internal feeling of, it, it is not a, I, I feel forgiven today. Oh, joy of joys. It is, I am a dirty, rotten sinner who has now had the proclamation handed down over me that that is not how God sees me. And, and this is the beauty of the, of the, of the public confession and absolution. Uh, I've, I've talked with other pastors, I've talked with other people, and, and, and not just pastors, but parishioners who say, Pastor, I don't know if, if, if we can do that in church because how do you know for sure the person who is confessing really means it? That's not the point. The point is the proclamation, right? The point is the proclamation that in Christ your sins are forgiven. That is true. It is a statement of fact. In Christ your sins are forgiven. Now, if you want to take your sins back and, and suffer the consequences for them, by all means, do so. But that doesn't remove the fact that your sins are forgiven in Christ. Absolution also uh, deals with the whole idea of community. Uh, as uh, when an individual is sitting there in the pew wondering, am I really forgiven? If someone's sitting in a huge church, thousands of people, and somebody says, I'm really forgiven, uh, how do you really know that your sins are forgiven because God has forgiven this community? Uh, the, when I just walked through that with the uh, kids in ca confirmation class, and the justification, how do we really know that your sins are forgiven? I always like asking that question because uh, catechism kids, as they're studying the catechism, the, the gospel is always the, the hardest thing for them to learn, and it's the first thing that leaves their memory. The law is always the f easiest thing for them to learn. The law is always the thing that sticks in their memory the longest. And so if you would just throw them off guard and say, well, wh how do you know that you're forgiven? Nine times out of ten, you're going to hear, well, because I'm, I do this or I do yep. that. And just to take that time in the third article and say, walk, walk, I'm going to walk you through. You're going to you're going to counsel somebody who's not sure whether they're forgiven. And here are the things you're going to say. You're going to say John 3:16, the God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Are you a part of the world? Are you a part of humanity? Yes. Then therefore God has forgiven you your sins. 
So in the absolution, we're also uh, building a community and also forming a community through that proclamation. Right. And that, and the community that's being built is changed fundamentally. Um, you know, it's, it's not as if our will, our will desires to convert us. It is our will is converted. Um, the things that I would like to do, the things that I could not do before, the desires of my heart to reach out and, and, and see people different than what I saw them before flow from the, 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 the proclamation and the community that accepts me, um, as bad as I was into it, right? Through this proclamation of forgiveness. And, and the entire service, going just finishing up a little bit, the entire service from that moment of confession and absolution revolves around that proclamation being restated and restated and restated. I, and so you go into the, you flow into the word, right? And, and the word is the highlighting of God's law and God's gospel for you, a proclamation over the church. That, that not just individually, but also as a whole, you are a part of something greater than yourself that God has created in your midst. Then you move to this other thing that we call uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And, and, and this needs to be, because if you want to talk about this, this uh, what the church is meant to be and do, it's there in the sacrament of, of the Lord's Supper. Because you have the individual, Right? You have the individual who comes and receives the true body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Again, proclamation. But to his left and to his right, he is standing with other brothers and sisters receiving the true body and blood of Christ. And together as a body, they are proclaiming this wonderful truth. And I always like to tell my people, and and I don't know if you've ever said it. I'm sure you do because we say it in different ways maybe. But what comes from the altar and hand of our God in the sacrament flows into our families around our tables and then from our tables into the communities in which God has placed us. And, and that's how that works, that this absolution, this proclamation, the community that's established in the church flows from that into, into the callings that we have in life. What we fail to realize in American Christianity, and this is what makes Lutheranism the greatest secret, is that American Christianity has stripped itself of all of those things. And, and I think it's fair for us to say that. American Christianity has, has stripped itself of the very proclamations of, of, of free and full forgiveness in Christ and the ways that God has instituted that proclamation to be given. He has instituted that proclamation to be given not only through the word, but also through the sacraments. And, and in the Lutheran church, in the confessions, and in scripture, we have the two sacraments, right? Baptism. God takes water, this simple thing, and he connects himself to it, and he says, I'm going to do something on your behalf. I'm going to rip open heaven and show you my love for you. Same thing in, 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 in the Lord's Supper. He takes these two elements of bread and wine and he connects himself to it. And he says, I am, I'm going to be here fully in, in, in body and blood for you, for the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's, it's the fundamental aspect of saying you need to know not just in word, but in action that what I say to you is true and meaningful so that you can go and live what is true and meaningful and, and be freed to do so. I think the living part is where the critique of Lutheranism comes from the rest of American Christianity. They would say, well, you guys have the sacrament and you have the gospel. You claim that this is the fuel for your community, but what's your community really doing? 
<laughs> right. And, and, and that's a and that is a legitimate criticism. I, I will I will give you a hundred percent. And this is why this is where it comes back down to the to to Lutheranism is the best kept secret in the United in in the United States Christian in American Christian Christianity. Lutheranism is this best kept secret because we have the gifts. We have the truth. We have the proclamation. We have the confession and absolution. We have everything that the world needs, that people need to to remove this guilt. And I think you're 100% correct. We do nothing with it. Uh, maybe that's an overstretch. But but we do very little with it. Yeah. And, and so, the, yeah, right. So then the temptation is always just to swing and look at, the activity of the church as if that's where Christ is. We're looking for Christ where he isn't found. Uh, Christ is found in the sacrament. Christ is found in his word. That's the fuel. The fact that the the community, as it goes out into its community, isn't doing, isn't letting that fuel that they receive in the, in the divine worship fuel them as they go out, that's not the fault of God. It's the fault of the individual Christian thinking that that's all I needed was to get forgiven today or that or that's the fault of the pastor if he uh, uh, communicates to his people that that's all I need from you is that you're in church on Sunday. Well, right, and and that's and and let's face it, you know, there's there's fault all the way around, and the Lutheran Church is is not exempt from that. And, and the Lutheran Church has, in many times, in many ways, said, you know, we want butts in the pews because, like every other church in the nation, we're finding a huge decline. And and we say to ourselves, we have older church buildings, we have this, we need this, we have to we have to sell it now. So we we fall into that trap, and Lutheran churches can do that too. We fall into the trap of of the presentation. We fall into the trap of individualism. We fall into the trap of of all of these things that 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 reformed Christianity that has not succeeded and has failed the United States. We we are just twenty years later saying, well, let's give it a try. It's not going to work. What has sustained the church for millennia is word and sacrament ministry. The, the the proclamation of sins forgiven in Christ Jesus and him alone. That has sustained the church. And then what has come from it? A change of heart in the people as, as the spirit works to better people. And and so, yeah, we have failed 100%, just as every other Christian church has, has failed in the United States. Because we've convinced ourselves that there's this dichotomy, right? And and maybe you can, and if I'm wrong, correct me. But from how I see it, we've convinced ourselves of this dichotomy. And the dichotomy that we've convinced ourselves of is this. There is worshiping in church and being a Christian that way and doing something and being a Christian that way. And you have those two camps, right? I'm a Christian because I go to church. And then you have the other one, but I'm a Christian, according to James, because of what I do. They fail to realize that the entire book of James is talking to the person who, whose butt's in the pew, not just the person who wants to do something. Mm-hmm. He's talking to the person whose butt's in the pew. Um, you know, this is a this is this is not a Mary versus Martha. This is a Mary and Martha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Martha, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm working. You tell my sister to, to get up and start helping me. Um, no, now is the time to have your butt in the pew and, and be refreshed by what I'm giving and then be encouraged to go 
and and do something with it share it um you know he, and and maybe this is a this is another comment on it we have devalued what we receive and since we've devalued what we receive people come and they hear it and they say well that makes me feel good for now but it's not as valued enough to share with someone else it, it's not it, it's it's not a Philip and Nathaniel moment we have found the Christ um come and see it's it's more of yeah, well, I heard some really good words on Sunday, and and yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, I think if our listeners have been in a Lutheran church all their lives, they don't realize the gold that they receive every Sunday. Uh, what this is what people are looking for, because people are struggling with guilt, people are struggling with shame, and we remove it every Sunday. Not every church does that, and so they don't. Our people probably don't see the the wonderful gift that they're given every Sunday, and maybe th- this this podcast maybe ho- helps you to reevaluate and, and look at, oh, this is what I get on Sunday is actually a good thing, and I haven't seen it before. Well, and I and 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 I would uh, just follow up on that. You know, I've had opportunities. My the first call. I don't know if my my, my first church that I had an opportunity to serve St. Luke's in Kenosha. And it was um, supposed to be a church closure, and it became a church restart. And it was, by the grace of God, it was amazing. <clears throat> um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to all of our members that are listening. You know, having 60 people in your Bible study is amazing. And you don't have to limit it to 20 or 30 or less. You know, 60 people in a Bible study would be a great thing. Good conversation. Uh, moving on from that, though, I remember one Sunday I was serving there, and we had had a guest that had been coming and she'd been coming for about three or four weeks. And uh, after service, she had come up to me and she said, <clears throat> Pastor Harley, we like your sermons. We think they're very good. Uh, and I said, well, thank you. She goes, when are you ever going to move on from talking about Jesus? And I kind of stopped and I said, I don't know if I quite understand what you're saying. And she says, well, don't you think that the world needs to be reminded of doing more stuff? And and my comment to her was, you can do nothing unless you are first found in Jesus. And I said, and so the message of Jesus and the cross always has to be given because there's nothing you can do without him. You know, that that is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, it's not, it's I can not do all things. Line. Yeah, yes. it, that, that's a truth. It's not a saying, it's not just saying, I can do all things. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where do I get that strength? It just doesn't materialize out of the ether. Um, you know, that it comes through word and sacrament ministry. And, and I think that is where fundamentally, fundamentally, and we can talk a little bit, I mean, and we have like 20, 15 minutes before the end of the podcast. And I think there's other things we can talk about, the failure of American Christianity. But I think fundamentally, that is where American Christianity has failed. It has failed because it has stripped itself of word and sacrament ministry, highlighted the individual and social morality with zero backing on how to do it and to find the strength to do it. I think one of the things that I, I read the same article that, uh, well, I read parts of it anyway, uh, to be honest. I, it was a long article, but it one of the things that hit me as I was reading it is that oftentimes American Christianity is often 
reinventing itself. It's always saying, well, we did this wrong, so now we must respond and do this differently. Or we did this wrong, now we must do respond and do... It's always pursuing in, in the underlining feel of the of the articles and of, of the articles before that is the fact that we're not real Christians until we do this. We're not real Christians because we've allowed that. We're not real followers of Christ because we let this happen in our midst. And uh, it, it was it saddened me to a point just because it, you're there they keep trying to look for the answer and the answer is found in Christ and what he has done for us, not in what we do. We're, we're always a work in progress. We're always people that need to be fed God's word. Uh, yes, we need to hear from God's word how we are to live, but we always need Christ because without Christ, it's, it's nothing. Without Christ, we just become uh, another self-help group. And, and, and in common to that, just some of the comments that, that the article had said about the failure of Christianity and that, that highlight exactly what you're saying. And, and, this idea that the the Christian church always has to find itself to reinvent itself. Um, um, you could say that there is a mix of mysticism, you know, this this hocus pocus that goes on, and then a mix of of um, a pietism, this inward look of of my own life, and then a, of, of revivalism. We always got to reform, and we always got to have this movement towards something greater. But or God is on, uh, on the on the uh, outskirts, and He's ready to come in. And as soon as we do A, B, and C, then right. He's really going to come in, and everything's going right. to explode. Right. And and I think to 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 mention that um, the article talks about one of the one of the other external failures of of American Christianity is is what was highlighted as irrelevant. And 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 I want to just read a couple of quotes from there. He that was says is that the the word irrelevance really highlights the church today. He says, church has nothing to do with actual lives. And later on, he says that that um, ministry itself has become complacent, that we have hirelings in the pulpit that lust after the ease and social acceptance, and that relevance to real life problems and challenges and experiences are are lacking from the pulpits. Now, now here's here's my here's my comment on this. When you are in a church where the only thing that you have that is, and I'm saying this graciously, remotely close to the means of grace where where forgiveness of sins could be given is coming from the pulpit, you're going to have this problem of irrelevance. You're going to have this problem of irrelevance. Because because the only time that you're getting connected with the word of God and and the promises and the and the proclamation of God is when someone else stands up, and is is expounding on it. Now let me tell you. Let me. I'm going to say it for myself, and you can agree or disagree. I have had failures in sermons. I've had major flops where I've been up there and I've given my sermon. I'm like, I'm going to end this now because because I have lost where I'm going. <clears throat> I have no idea what I'm saying, and this is horrible. Now, usually it's at those times when people come up and say, Pastor, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard because it's short, not because it said anything. <laughs> I've had other times where people came up and said, Pastor, I think you got a little lost there. And and it's happened. It's happened to every pastor. It is at that time I am so vitally thankful that the liturgy picks up where I have lacked and that and that in the very liturgy of the Lutheran church, you have the proclamation of absolution. You have the presentation of sins forgiven. You have everything that is supposed to have been done 
or 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 should have been done in the sermon as another way of saying it was done within the service. So where I failed, the Lord still picks up and he still pronounces and he still gives. And in the sacrament of of, of the Lord's altar uh, with the with with communion, he still gives and he still proclaims. When you've stripped that from the church, it becomes very irrelevant. It, it does. It, it, the, the, the church becomes extremely irrelevant when the very fundamental core of what it was meant to do is no longer there. That, that, and I'm, I, mm. I'm a firm believer in that. So yeah, the, the church is going to suffer from irrelevance because you're not confronting the thing that people need the church to do. Well, you know, I would respond by that and by saying sometimes, um, sometimes we as pastors say we marvel at how the lectionary seems to fit uh, whatever the life circumstances are. And sometimes I think as, as Lutheran pastors, sometimes we, uh, we, over, we are overconfident that the lectionary that we are preaching from is always going to address all of the, 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 the ills of society or we insert into a, 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 a text something that isn't there just because we need to talk about it. Um, I guess where I'm coming from is this, this whole concept of irrelevancy. I can, I can kind of see the complaint against the Lutheran uh, churches as well is if we're not addressing what's going on around us and we become a place where people hear about things that don't really matter. Um, I have really appreciated in our lectionary this last year of going through Romans right during the time, right, right, right before the election. Uh, but that doesn't always happen where a good text that talks about what everyone is feeling matches up. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit uh, when we had a life Sunday, you know, I picked a text that wasn't in the lectionary because I wanted to talk about the vaccine and about loving your neighbor. Uh, sometimes the church has to, be relevant and look around it, look around it and say, you know, God's word has something to say here. Maybe it's not according to the lectionary that we have in front of us. But but here's the opposite problem that, I, and and I agree with you, and and I think there is a time, on occasion, like a life Sunday or uh, an education Sunday, or you know, we have this huge track of time where where we are, um, where we're. We, we get into the, the Pentecost season and it's after Easter and we're like, oh, this is a long stretch of time. Yeah, those are good opportunities to do that kind of stuff. But I, but I think one of the things that we, we fail to realize and, and, and we fail to, to embrace is that the lectionary itself is there for a purpose. And the, the purpose of the lectionary is, is very simply um, that the, the lectionary is forcing us to consider the truths of Scripture outside of our own desires and outside of our own wants and outside of our own things that we want to pursue. So when we look at the lectionary series, and like like last week we we preached on the Transfiguration, right? And and the Transfiguration, um, what is so beautiful about the Transfiguration is is the very simple core idea that we as people want to have this wonderful. Um, we, we as people want to have, uh, um, and I apologize in the background for the for the message that's going on, um, but but we as as individuals want to have this beautiful transcendent, um, wonderful 
idea of of God and say that we love these mountain high experiences. And so that's kind of the thing that we want. Um, but what we fail to realize is that in Christendom, we suffer from this problem of, of not being able to have that. And, and that's the issue that I think that, that we have to, to, to deal with, is that in the lectionary, it forces us to come into terms with there's more to the problems of mankind than the social problems. There's more to the problems of mankind than the rioting or, or, or this, this group coming up or that opinion being done or, or this president doing that or that president doing this. Those are good problems, but those are, those are socially driven problems. Those are the ones that, that the, the society wants you to highlight at this time for this meaning, for this reason. Um, vaccines, good thing to talk about, but that's a problem that, that is one that's driven socially. It, it, it's it's not a it's not the fundamental core, and and the and the liturgy forces us to deal with the fundamental core, and and that is something that the church needs. The the church needs to have, in a very fundamental way. And I know maybe our people get tired of hearing it, but the main problem of all society is sin. Sin is the sin is the the, the biggest problem, and 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 the lectionary forces us. To, to go back to that core and say, here's how it is a fundamentally, here's how it fundamentally affects you. And, and, and so when you pick and choose, that there, I think there is a problem with, with churches who do that every week. Not saying you shouldn't do it sometimes, but the churches that do it every week, they're not really feeding their people because they are becoming irrelevant because they're seeing the, the, the people are seeing the church shift with the changing of the seasons. This social issue is up, I'm going to confront this. This social issue is up, I'm going to confront this. And it's just like a fluctuation, a, a tumultuous event. Instead of saying, here's the underlined issue. You are a sinner just as much as everyone else. It's not you versus them. It is, it is us against God. That's sin. I think there just has to be a balance between the two. Of, of, uh, and I think this is the reason why we have individual pastors and individual parishes is because if we would have if we would have someone from on high, you know, our synod president, uh, I, I think his name is Don Winsberger. Isn't that our synod president? He's no, not he, a synod president. He always president. claims that he's a synod president. I hope president. he never becomes synod president. <laughs> <laughs> he always claims he, he doesn't. He always introduce himself as as a synod president. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry, Don. I'm just teasing you. Uh, anyway, just the idea of we don't have someone from on high saying this is exactly what we have to do. Uh, all and this is what we have to preach on every Sunday is that it's up to each individual pastor who's looking at its own flock and saying, uh, I need to talk about this issue or that issue, or we need to have a series on this issue or that issue because this is a problem here in our community. And I, I, I get your caution about our, so that our people don't think that the church is always moving with the times around it, that it doesn't have something consistent and solid because, to be honest, what is consistent and solid that needs to continue to be preached to our people is 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 sin and grace, not that the church gets to figure out what sin is, but we're proclaiming what the Bible says about sin and what the Bible says about right. grace. And, and I agree with you. And, and like I said, it's it's not a bad thing to have those focuses within reason, but but is it? Yeah, I mean, there, there's this the beauty of the lectionary. I mean, and, and the lectionary has sustained the church again. I mean, there's a reason for it. Um, you know, it was the historical lectionary for a while. And and here's just a side story, just just to tell you just the importance of the lectionary itself. 
I, I once served a gentleman who, by all cases, was illiterate. I mean, he was he was old. He was he was in in a nursing home when I when I encountered him. Um, but he he had lived so so many years with the historical the the historical lectionary he had it memorized, because the historical lectionary what made the historical lectionary unique was it was the same readings, same three readings all the time, all year, you know, that, that same they... Same two readings. The same, right. The Old they, Testament they didn't, were added later. Right. But they had the same two readings from the epistles and, and from the gospels. And they, for every day, every Sunday of the church year, they always repeated. So that same Sunday next year was the same readings. And he had lived with it so long, he had memorized it. Never read a lick of it himself. But he had lived with it so long, he memorized it, and there there is an importance there because the scriptures became his own, and and exactly as what we've been trying to say, which is the proclamation of the means of grace, the 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 gospel um, in word and sacrament, strengthened him and and that preserved him, and he he committed it to his memory, he lived it in his life, even though he couldn't read it himself. He couldn't pick it up and he couldn't, you know, but it was a part of him. And I think there's an importance there that that we have failed in that regard to, to make those words a part of us to the sense that, that they're so a part of our life, that the church is so important that it, it, it what flows from there interacts and intersects and actually guides the rest of our life. And, and I think that's that's where the failure of the church comes in is we we've created the church has created group after group after group to try to to confront this situation this situation this situation young mothers uh, young adults um, we've tried to confront teens we've tried to confront we try to create these little you know and then we said to ourselves well you know the the teens they want they want activities and so we we, we got to get them together to get activities together no teens need the gospel. They, they need that they need to know that they're forgiven and and young mothers they need to have this togetherness yes okay that's that's the community but they also need the gospel um and 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 really the gospel is supposed to spur us on then to find these ways to interact with each other I think yeah I, I speak as one who's trying to get a youth group together so the, the idea of we're trying to these are a bunch of teens who are feeling like individuals trying to give them a community however I I uh so I, I that's that's why I see the good thing, and we're proclaiming the gospel to them as well. But I see the I th- I think what you're trying to say is that we compartmentalize our church and say, well, uh, teens only want this kind of church or that kind of church service, or um, this doesn't apply to a teen or this won't reach the teen. One of the things I'm always fascinated by with my confirmation kids is I would put in every Sunday they'd have to write in. Um, a service outline and critique of the service, and there I'm always asking for their favorite hymn. I just tell me what your favorite hymn is today, and it's not always the the catchy tunes that gets the favorite hymn. It's sometimes it's the content of the of the of the uh, of the hymn that actually resonates with them. So just the idea of we don't necessarily need to compartmentalize our church in order to not be a failure as a church, uh, but we do need to address it and bring it a community together, which is done through the gospel. Right. And, and, and then I think my last, my last little look at this whole entire thing in the failure of, of Christianity, we talked about community and we talked about 
uh, how community is created in, in the means of grace. We talked about how American Christianity has failed because it, it deals with revivalism, always trying to change always trying to change what it's doing to, to try to, to bring more people in and, and the individualism of it where it, it leaves it up to the individual to, to sort of find their, their point and purpose and their compass. The last thing I want to I wanna sort of just, just throw out there is the fact that, and, and people have claimed that American Christianity has failed because people who consider themselves Christians don't look any different than people who aren't. And, and I just want to, I guess I just want to comment that and, and highlight on that and say the reason for that is because there is no difference. The difference is not in us. The difference is in what is proclaimed over us. And I, and I think if we understand that, we will understand that that you know there is no difference between between uh, Joseph Smith, <laughs> conveniently. Uh, who sits in the pew, and John Doe, who doesn't ever come to church. There is no difference, fundamentally, between the two. They're both sinners. They both are led by by their own moral compass. In areas of life, they both try hard, and in areas of life, they both fail drastically. The only difference between John Doe and Joseph Smith, who's in the pew, is that Joseph Smith recognizes where he goes to put his guilt and and what is proclaimed over him as fact whereas that guilt is taken away that's the only difference and and then he leaves that place ready to try again and and not wallow in the failure of of not doing it right yeah and joseph smith goes out into the world and says how can i share this good news of forgiveness with somebody else those who are less fortunate, those who are, are f- facing challenging times, how can I help my neighbor see Christ as I have seen him in church? Yeah, and, and if we lose that, if we lose that, <clears throat> the pinnacle of the church, the church's job, which is to proclaim and, and to offer that absolution, then yes, the church will continue to fail. 100%, um, every church will be a failure because we're not doing what we're called to do. Um, we are not called to live. Uh, I, I, I go back to my call uh, on the call sheet, call document, right? And, and I look at that m- more often now of late. And, and, and I keep coming back to one of the biggest calls of the pastor, right, is to preach, to teach, administer the sacraments, and equip the saints for service. How do, how do we equip the saints for service? By preaching, by teaching, by administering the sacraments. We teach, we, we equip these saints for service, um, giving them opportunity to live their faith um, free of the guilt of the failure that is a, going to happen. It, it's going to happen because you're never going to live it right. And it never, it's gonna, never going to be perfect. But as Christians, we don't throw up our hands and say, well, I can't do it right. I'm not going to do it at all. No, that that's not the that's not the reaction. The reaction is, nope, I can't do it right. Christ, please forgive me, strengthen me to do better. And every morning, like Luther says, um, let today let today be a better day. And at night, Lord, forgive me for my failure. You know, give me a good night's sleep. Um, 
I don't know. I, I that's my take on on the failure and success of the church. I suppose. Any lasting words or? So, dear friend, you've just listened to two p- pastors talking about stuff they're not experts in, but they are talking about things they deeply care about. They deeply care about uh, the people that are in this country, and they they deeply care about where this country is going as far as focusing on the externals and fo- and not dealing with guilt, focusing on the individuals and not dealing with community. And so, dear friends, go live your real life living in Christ and cast your nets. <laughs>